Ah, we are live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Revolutionary Health, a program of the Counter Neoda Project. I'm Charles Stevens, the Executive Director, and I'm joined by uh, David Melbridge, internal medicine physician, activist, <laughs> writer, writer, revolutionary, and, and ratchet person overall. <laughs> okay, that's not. We'll Let's talk, go. That's Revolutionary Health After Dark. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, my name is, my name is Johnny Cornegay, um, Mobilization Director for the Counter Narrative Project, and just joining today. Cool, and we also have our good friend Alvin, our fearless filmmaker, producer extraordinaire, helping us out in the background, yeah. who's uh, been working with for like, God forever. You knew me when I was like a baby gay. <laughs> um, welcome to Revolutionary Health, y'all. I'm so excited um, for y'all joining us. Hey, Nathan, see Nathan joined us. Um, we wanted to do something a little different today. We're going to actually start with sort of breaking news, right? About a black gay man that tried to tried to access prep here in the good city of Atlanta and went to a local community-based organization, which shall remain nameless. We're not saying no names right now. Um, but he's going to tell a story mm -hmm. and share with us his experience with trying to access prep in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, Johnny, what was your experience like? Uh, interesting. So, <laughs> hey, Mark. Uh, also, if you have questions for John, Johnny or comments, you want to share your own experiences trying to access prep, please. let us know in the comments. Absolutely. Uh -huh. Um, so interest. Okay. So first of all, um, I, uh, accessed prep in 2016 mm -hmm. and actually had a fairly easy process. Mm -hmm. Um, I was able to go into a, where'd you go in 2016? Hmm, I went to actually the Fulton County health department. Okay. Shout out to Fulton County. Shout Department. out to Fulton, hey, Fulton County, County health department. Health department. <laughs> you know what? You so the positive. Yes. Uh, Fulton Mr. County Biggers. is just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> right. So access prep in 2016 and actually expected to have an easier experience this in time 2018, in yeah. 2018 right mm -hmm. so um made the decision so uh, prep is one of those things and we when we talk about this a lot but it's it's personal right mm -hmm. it's part of our personal health um and i decided that i wanted to do it for me mm -hmm. okay again right so um proceeded to um a uh, an organization that had a prep clinic and, um, you know, the, the person at the front was like extremely pleasant and was mm -hmm. like, listen, and ask the question, do you have an appointment? I said, no. And they said, that's fine. Go ahead, mm -hmm. sign in and we'll get somebody to see you. Yes. So I'm like, okay, this is going to be just like last time. Mm -hmm. That was not what happened. Like last time. Um, I was turned away. Mm. I mean, flat out. And you're trying to access prep. You went yeah. to this place to mm -hmm. try to get prep you were turned away i was turned away okay. so okay so there were there were there was um there were several kind of layers to the mm. experience right so i get to the room and there was a person who who initially came in and was like and they say oh what brings you in and i'm like oh i'm here to access prep and they were like well do you have an appointment mm. and i'm like well no and I'm talking to a person, right? Do you right. have an appointment? No. And they were like, oh, okay, well, typically we do it by appointment. So let me get somebody. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, okay, it's cool. They're mm -hmm. just gonna do it. Two other people come in um, and ask me the same question. Like, mm -hmm. oh, what are you in for? What are you here for? And I'm like, oh, we're gonna access prep. Mm -hmm. And they asked me once again, did I have an appointment? I said no. And they proceeded to um actually it 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 felt like an interrogation of it. Mm -hmm. Like, um, we typically do this by appointment, um, you know, so do you have insurance? Now, fortunately, 
I do. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like, yes, I do. Um, do you have like financial information? Cause we typically, we have to go over financial information. Mm -hmm. We have to go over your insurance. And so we typically block time. Um, and I was like, yeah, because I know that you have to do labs. Like I've been right. through this before, right. so I get right. it. Right. Um, so all this to say, um, the person asked, so do you want to make an appointment? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, no, I don't want to make an appointment. <laughs> I'm just going to go somewhere else. Yeah. And in that moment, I was frustrated. I, I recognized that I was frustrated. I also recognized that I had, I was, I was blessed that I could get back in the car and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Right. So I literally sat with that and was like, well, I'm glad I can get back in the car and go somewhere else mm -hmm. because that may not be an option for other folks. What was your expectation about what would happen? My expectation about what would happen would be that they would assist like if, if if two people came into the room and were willing to sit down and talk to me right. without an appointment right they so coming in they knew i didn't have an appointment because i'm like obviously i don't I, right. this person's name is nowhere on my list of appointments mm -hmm. so if we're going to have ultimately three people come in and speak to me i assumed that they would just do it yes and not only that we talk about especially in um atlanta um, the importance of getting folks access to prep, getting folks access to whatever treatment it is that they're looking for. And mm -hmm. if I'm inside of an organization that provides service to our community, mm -hmm. I my expectation was that, that, that that's what would happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So I get back in the car and um, you call my me? friend is with me. I called <laughs> you and I was like, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> but I'm going to this other place and we're going to see what happened. Right. <laughs> so go to the other place and had the complete opposite experience. Mm. I don't want to say, I'll say who it is at the end. Y'all might have a hint. Mm -hmm. Go there, stand in there. They have a new process. I stand in the line. They gave me a number. The person comes out and she's like, oh my goodness. I got the information that you're here. I know that you don't have an appointment. We have a meeting happening now, but please don't leave. Like, mm. I want to talk to you. Right. Mm. And I'm sitting there like, huh, already this person is like, oh my goodness, don't, don't leave this office. Like, please sit here. And was really apologetic. Please sit here. I know I have to go and do this thing, but I don't want you to go. I want to talk to you. Person comes back. So I wait maybe 30 minutes patiently. Um, I have my headphones, you know, and works out was good. The person um, then takes me back. Um, starts to go through the question and answer process and discovered that because of the insurance, I'm quite fortunate that I, I, I have coverage now. We go through the process and she's like, oh my goodness, I can't even, I can't do this. I couldn't, so I couldn't do prep through us and I'm so sorry mm. that I had you wait and that I had you come back here. It would be a mistake for me to try and help you because when it came time for you to fill your prescription, you'd run into a problem. Right. Oh, wow. So I'm so sorry. Here's what you should do. And the person was, they kept apologizing mm. and they encouraged me. They was like, cause I was with a friend and they were like, listen, I know that your friend is here with you. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to your friend. I want you to please, while you're waiting in the lobby, while we're mm. talking to your friend, call your doctor. 
Call your insurance company. Make your appointment. Don't stop. Don't wait. You got to sit out there. It, like, they really were running down. Like, you got to sit out there anyway. So do this while you wait. Right. Um, and that's what I did. Now, that being said, I do not have prep now. You ain't able to get on prep. You know, it's interesting because the, the Project Q did a story. I think they're covering the AIDS view research mm -hmm. about how prep use explodes across the United States, but Georgia still lags. <laughs> so I think that that's key. But you do have a question mm -hmm. um, from the comments. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, let's see. One question is, uh, I'm trying to get to all the questions. Mm -hmm. um, Johnny, are you in a relationship, socially, sexual? <laughs> do you bear prep with the prep? Wow. <laughs> or does prep allow you to feel free it's just asking, like, maybe no, why you, right, why you right. what, what, what made you, and it is, it's a personal choice, right? Absolutely. But what made you decide that prep was the right choice for you? Right. Absolutely. So, falling out of the regimen, so, like I said, my first regimen started in 2016. Mm -hmm. So, immediately in my head, I was like, oh, does it even, like, still work? And this is actually going to be a question mm -hmm. that I ask, you know, to you, uh, to you, David. But I, I immediately was thinking about, Oh my goodness, if I access this again, I think I remember reading somewhere that it probably won't be as effective because I was on a regimen for a period yes. of time in 2016. Right. So what why I decided to do it, first of all, it was important. It was mm -hmm. important then. It mm -hmm. was important um in the in-between time. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was really just a matter of me prioritizing it. So literally what happened was that day I had a few hours free. I was like, well, listen. <laughs> I done did everything I need to do. I've been talking about prep. Yes. Let's go get it. Let's do it. Like, literally, let's go now. So it was really just a matter of personal choice, but right. prioritizing what I felt like was important for me. Right. Um, so I would say that, interestingly enough, and this is, like, super, super, like, personal, part of the reason why, you know, the first time of falling out of the regimen is... Um, in terms of where I was in life, it just didn't seem to make sense. Like mm -hmm. it just, it just didn't. And I mean, I, I could probably feel that way again this time, but, but I think what's different though, is I am looking at my health differently. Mm -hmm. um, and the importance of that and what things for me as a black gay man are important. Mm -hmm. And so I recognize that I'm in a different space. And if you're on prep, please in the comments, let us know what made you decide to get on, mm -hmm. on prep. Um, was it because you were starting a new relationship? Mm -hmm. Was it because, you know, for what, I mean, there are many reasons why people might choose to want to get on prep. Mm -hmm. um, David, to kind of wrap this up, do you have just any sort of advice for Johnny or any? Yeah, I don't, of, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think, I think the, the point is an important one that, you know, the experience that you go through, like a lot of us go mm -hmm. through and you can't really tell. And I mean, the funny thing is, is that at the end of the day, you didn't come, you didn't have prep at both institutions, at both facilities, but the experience you had at one <laughs> Was completely, completely different, different from the yeah. other and you know to me that's kind of one of the platforms that i talk about a lot now is that uh, you know we were just talking about this shout out to daniel driffin who just defended on his uh, master's thesis today at morehouse school of medicine way to go daniel um but we were talking in his thesis defense about uh the difference between access to care and true access to care mm. and like access to care meaning that there's a building with some physicians nurse practitioners pas medical staff where you could actually go and get care if you can make it there. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's true access to care, which really builds into kind of the quality of it, mm -hmm. the quality of the interactions, how you're treated, 
if you're able to get some of these things done. And so it's not just enough to have a building up or to say, oh, I have a prep clinic. So right. let's go ahead and you can go to the prep clinic because if you have a provider that's not really motivated, if mm-hmm. you have a provider or front desk staff or other staff that's like either racist or sexual prejudice mm-hmm. or prejudice against varying gender identities, then you're going to be screwed. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the fact of the matter is all this science and prep is a great tool and a great option for like mm-hmm. HIV prevention if you're putting that as a part of your sexual health. Yes. But if you have, and but the problem is that you have to have a prescription. Right. So without the prescription, you can't get prep. So if the personnel that are in this site that you're trying to access are all fucked up <laughs> and just have bad attitudes and don't want to do the extra mile, like, because that would have, as you were telling the story, I was thinking that really felt me, I mean, it made me feel warm inside. Mm-hmm. That, that woman was like, okay, I'm going to have you wait here. I'm going to come back. And each time yes. she kept to her word and came back. I had a situation mm-hmm. long time ago when I went for HIV testing at a clinic, at a medical clinic. Mm-hmm. And I came back for a repeat test. Mm-hmm. And they told me that the results weren't back yet. Mm-hmm. And so I was freaking out because I was like, okay, the results aren't back yet. And that means I'm positive And this is mm-hmm. that and the other. Mm-hmm. I went in and I remember they put me in the room and this nurse put me in the room. Mm-hmm. And I sat there and I waited. And I waited. She's like, I'm going to get the results. I'll come right back in a second, baby. And she's gone for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And she knew I was a physician, too. Like, I told her I was a doctor. And this is to your point about, you know, you can have a certain amount of privilege and people will still mess with you. She knew I was a doctor. And all of a sudden, it got to be like 50 minutes later, an hour later. And I'm sitting here panicking because I'm thinking, they're about to tell me that I'm positive. They're about to do this. They're about to do that. And all of a sudden, um, another nurse walks by. And she says, oh, what? didn't you come in there a while ago to wait on your labs? And I said, yeah, I did. I was like, it was with that other nurse, you know, the brown skin one who's kind of heavy set. She's like, oh yeah, her. She went on lunch break. And I was wow. like, and I literally almost hit the ceiling. But then she wow. told me, this other nurse said, well, hold on a second. Let me call the lab because there's some kind of delay. She found the report. She came back in the room and handed me the report. And, or she had it in her hand. She was like, oh, well, I'm really sorry about the nurse. And I was like, the report, like, give give me the report so I can know what's going on. And then find, oh yeah, I'm sorry, you're negative, it's fine. And I was like, girl, like, what are you doing? Like, it was all that drama. And even when she was being helpful with it, Mm -hmm. it was like, she forgot. Yes. Yeah, kind Mm -hmm. of the the anxiety that you have, the stress that you have when you go in there. And it's just an interesting thing that people can just discard that. But this woman, knowing I was a physician, took a lunch break without following up on me. And, and that was the last time I was at that clinic. Like I made another appointment to see a different primary care provider. This stuff yeah. happens all the time and they don't study it all because the they're so busy talking about, we don't get tested. Mm. We don't get linked to care. Yeah. Um, black gay men, you know, it's poverty. It's, you know, mental health. Now we're doing meth all the time. And so <laughs> there's always some individual level pathology yeah. that's causing us not to go to spaces, but they don't want to talk about the fact when we get into spaces, that the personnel and the systems and the structures and the bureaucracy and the red tape that you have to go through makes it even more difficult for you to go through. And that's not our fault. That's mm-hmm. not our fault. But if you had to publish that data or research that mm-hmm. data, that would mean that the medical and public health communities would have to take a look at themselves. Absolutely. And nobody mm-hmm. wants to do that because that shows that they could do better and that it's not all our fault. And when the narrative in the media has to be like, black men loving black men is not the revolutionary right. act, but black men loving black men is pathology and craziness right. and dysfunction. When they want to tell that story, they'll tell it to the hills. But when they want to look at themselves and look at, oh, my God, our medical systems are really jacked up. Our personnel are really racist and homophobic. Um, they don't want to tell that story because no. it makes them look bad. Shout out to Walter. He has a really interesting question. Walter asks, what responsibility do you think black men living with HIV should have in promoting 
PrEP. Mm. I think black men and with HIV politics. are promoting a, a lot of PrEP. Everyone's promoting a lot of PrEP. But do you think there's specific responsibility, or not specific, but are, are there, like, if so, are there responsibility, or what are some of the responsibilities? Yeah, I think any of us. Like, let's say a let's say a black man living with HIV wants right. to be sort of like a, a supportive of, of, right. of brothers in the prep. Like what, what would that look like? Y'all have advice? Thank you, Walter. I mean, I, I see it all the time in HIV prevention. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of brothers who are living with HIV um, in HIV prevention mm -hmm. and everyone always talks about it and mm -hmm. kind of encourages prep. Although, I, you know, there are probably some instances where people don't do it because they're kind of concerned about treatment and access mm -hmm. to treatment and stopping treatment, that kind of stuff. But, um, in my experience, I've seen a lot of us. It doesn't mm -hmm. look any different than HIV negative men promoting it. Mm -hmm. um, to me, at least, in, in my really. circles, what I've seen. Shout out to Mark from London, who says, uh, Mark Thompson, friend of ours in London. Hey. Hi, Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. We're seeing similar problems and barriers with black gay men accessing PrEP in the UK, structure issues, low levels of knowledge and awareness, and not thinking it's for them the pathology of our lives. Mm -hmm. This is a global issue. Thanks for amplifying. I mean, absolutely. that absolutely should be, I think it could be an amazing opportunity to have, you know, a global, a diasporic conversation yes. um, within the black community about like our experiences with PrEP. Right. I think that could be such a critical conversation, but um, thank you, Johnny, for sharing your story. No problem. We just wanted to, to, to bring Johnny in as a way to share his narrative. I thought it was just an opportunity to really just have a very like clear, um, just like someone's actual experience mm -hmm. and not just be some sort of abstract, you know, anecdote, which we often. Uh, and on my way out, I do want to say, um, since I like to shout out the good, I talked about the, the first time in 2016 being Fulton County. The second time where I had the good experience again, was Fulton. Fulton County. And they kind of need Come some on, good, Fulton County. They need some good mm -hmm. press. Yes. Like, David Holland, Edith Baker, <laughs> Derek Wilson, all the people in the Fulton people. County Health Department. Way to go, y'all. Mm -hmm. Eamon Weaver. All right. Um, so one of the questions we got last week that we weren't able to answer on, uh, within the within the time frame was about um, good sex uh, without anal sex, or rather about, um, I think, non-penetrative sex. So I think we're talking about uh, we talked a little bit about like anal health and context of topics of tops and bottoms. And right. I know sexual health conversations, uh, especially involving black gay men, typically right. only talk about anal sex, but we don't talk about sexual health for folks right. that may not be, um, that may, uh, their sexuality may be broader uh, than just um, anal sex or penetrative sex. And I was wondering if you could talk about uh, any thoughts you had about or suggestions or? Yeah, I mean, this is where, you know, I think personal anecdotes also help. Like I'm uh -huh. I'm kind of not big on intercourse either way. People always like one of the first questions is like, are, are you, you a top, top or bottom, bottom or yeah. verse or what are you? And <laughs> yeah. so to me, it doesn't really always get there because I'm like, well, I'm into oral sex and foreplay. So we can do oral anal, we can mm -hmm. do oral whatever. And as long as I'm there, like if we can, get a good nut off that, I'm good. So to me, like, that's a conversation. But what's interesting is that I've noticed like a geographical thing going on. And so I remember being up north and I'm from upstate New York, lived in Philly before I lived in New Jersey. And what I noticed up there is that people were more into kind of like the intimacy part of it. So they were more into like the foreplay, you know, you can have an orgasm, you can get a nut without actual penetration. And when I got down south, it was strange because it seemed like everybody, the end game had to be somebody getting screwed. And I didn't under I didn't quite understand that. And so I think it's it's interesting and I think it's a good conversation to have because to me there are so many other things you can do 
sexually to get off and you don't have to go to penetration. I mean, like what are some other things you could do? People use toys. I mean, people are into S&M and leather. People are into water sports and other kinds of things. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff people can do when they talk with their partners or when they or cuddle or cuddle. Yeah, I kind of went right to the <laughs> I went straight to like the, the extra stuff. Um, but I mean, a lot of people like sometimes you can just, you know, lay with somebody in the bed and just kind of watch TV or just kind of sit up and just talk. And that can be as intimate and as arousing as somebody getting screwed. And so I think it, it always doesn't have to come down to anal sex what for us, but it seems to. What is some of your community? Like, I know a lot of, well, I know one particular black gay man was telling me that he he was someone that, that sort of had a disaffinity for penetrative sex. And he was telling me that he often felt very shamed. Right. So that when he would, um, you know, uh, wanted to have sex with somebody, when they found out that he wasn't interested in having anal sex, you know, there they was like a shaming right. around it. So I was wondering, um, in your experience, what were some of the ways that you would sort of communicate? Like, how, what do you do with that when, some, when you're like, when someone's like, you know, well, I mean, if somebody's shaming you for that, like, obviously, it's not going to work, so dump them. So, like, leave them. Like, to me, it's just as simple as that. Like, if you're saying we can't really be intimate or have kind of any level of physical intimacy between the two of us, unless I'm screwing you or you're screwing me, and that's the end game, then, you know, I'm like, bounce, because that's not going to be, that's not going to work for me in the long run. Now, now you can work to some compromises and kind of work on some stuff and say, well, okay, well, why don't we, we could build up to this or we could try these other things and you never know what's going to come up with it with that point. Um, but it doesn't need to be this kind of thing where it has to be that. And mm. if, it, if it does come to that all the time, I would just say leave if someone's really pressuring you for that. I mean, I think also it goes back to, uh, we don't really get good information about sexuality, right? right? Like mm -hmm. I think, you know, especially for, you know, younger brothers, I think a lot of times they get put into these categories very early on, you're going to be a top or a bottom. And I think, you know, sexuality is so much more than just these sort of sexual role categories, right? There's so much, um, there's so much, so many possibilities for pleasure. And, right. and I think that it's important to, to, to really have just better education. And as you were saying that, I was just thinking, shout out, I have to shout out um, Sophia Hudson, um, who's one of my colleagues over mm -hmm. at Emory uh, School of Public Health and in mm -hmm. the Infectious Disease Department. She actually conducted a study a few years back with a, a data set from men in Atlanta, rural, all black men of different sexualities. Mm -hmm. And she was exploring like how we learn about sex. Mm -hmm. And the three things that came up the most, what would you think they are? She called them the three no P's. <laughs> so it was peers, parents, and pornography. Huh. So that's how you learn about sex. And I don't know yeah. whether that's specific to mm -hmm. us as black men or even more specifically as black gay men, but it, it did state to me like, okay, parents may not give you all of that. They may kind of sugarcoat it or not really talk about it as much as they want to. Your peers are always going to like be bad influences <laughs> and just give you misinformation all the time. And then pornography, to be honest, a lot of it always does come down to intercourse, mm. whether it be straight or gay, it's going to yeah. come down to somebody being penetrated. So if these are the things that we're modeling. That's what we think is the end goal. Yes. And so I think it has profound effects because there's sometimes mm -hmm. where I'll see guys in clinic who have problems with erections, yes. like they can't get it up. And they're wondering why. And then I ask them, well, do you masturbate a lot? Mm -hmm. Do you watch porn a lot? And what we found out, especially with adolescents, is that, and younger adults, is that sometimes we get these images of what we've been socialized to believe is a mm -hmm. pleasurable experience. And when we keep masturbating and when we have our orgasms to that image, when we get in front of a real person and it doesn't meet mm -hmm. what we think turns us on or what we've been conditioned to think turns us on, all of a sudden we can't get it up again. And then wow. it's, it's, it gets deep because it's all about 
like even like people come at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like when you're screwing, the, the top is going to come inside you as you're coming as the bottom. That doesn't always happen. In like life. in real life, <laughs> like it never happens as perfectly and cleanly as that. But we're always taught that from the visions that we see. So mm-hmm. it's either porn where they give this kind of romanticized, idealized version. Where they're like, like where they cut and, uh, right. you know, they and edit the video. They bring and the fluffer in and the fluffer does what he needs to do. And then the fluffer, yeah. And let us, let us want to comment. How did you run about? How did you first learn about um, having sex? Yes, like, right. and if it was important, like, what were some of the movies that sort of shaped? Who were some of the stars <laughs> that you remember seeing that really, yeah, <laughs> that really got you going? All those kind of wow. things. Wow. We are there, so there is. Is there any? Is there much research on how porn impacts gay men's sexuality? Or I think so, mm-hmm. um, and I think there's. There is some stuff around it kind of linked with um, being sexually compulsive or even mm-hmm. on the continuum towards addiction where we use sex as kind of a coping mechanism um, to handle stress. Mm-hmm. And I think porn, also you think about it, but I mean, hormone-wise, <laughs> like, you, and I mean, guys, if you're out there watching, like, think about it. When you're horny, you're not really thinking clearly. <laughs> your mind's kind of all messed up. Your hormones are going crazy. And then once you have your orgasm, once you come, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, wait, wait, okay, wait. Oh, the sky is blue. Oh, wait, I gotta do this work. Like, all of a sudden, there's this clarity that you didn't have before. The cloud has been lifted. And to me, that's like a physiologic thing. And I don't know whether it's been studied as intently as Mm. as maybe it should. But, you know, I think we're driven by this kind of primal urge. We're driven by something that we can't really understand. And our goal is to just release. And so when we release, then we feel better. Um, And everything is fine after that. But it's an it's an interesting thing. Walter said, "Porn is a fairy tale lullaby to a disco track." It I really, know that's right. It really is. It really is a fairy, um, <laughs> a fairy tale. He also lullaby. says, "When I came out, people told me I should be a bottom because of how I looked. <laughs> Little did I know." Okay, I, I hear that. <laughs> yeah, I think these these social impacts. Like I talked about um, parents, peers, pornography, but I think like. Mm-hmm. People tell you when they see you, they may stereotype you. Yes. And we could even get into kind of like the size differences in black gay communities, like size, mm-hmm. colorism, colorism, and the assumptions of what role you're going to assume based on your size, if you're a twink or not, if you're dark skin, if you're yeah. light skin. Oh, you're, you're anticipating the panel that we're going to do. We're uh, actually, stay tuned for um, a community forum that we're going to host about mm-hmm. colorism with the Gentleman's Foundation. Mm-hmm. But exactly, all of those things, all those things were put in these categories. Right. Um, and it impacts how, how we see ourselves. Right. And if we yeah. feel pressure to live up to those expectations mm-hmm. or whether we buck against them and say, that's not what I like, mm-hmm. like this is what I'm actually turned on by. So I think it mm-hmm. gets kind of interesting how we're socialized as black gay men. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just going to look at a few more comments. Um, Walter. Mark says he'll see us in Amsterdam. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Good, Mark. We'll see you in Amsterdam in July. You're actually, um, are you going to be at IRC? Yeah, so um, the International AIDS Society uh, has a conference, a global conference every two years. Um, it's the biggest conference on HIV and AIDS um, in the world, actually. I think 20,000, 30,000 people usually show up, and it happens every two years at different international mm-hmm. locations. And this summer in July, it's going to be in Amsterdam. And I'm, I was invited to give a plenary talk. Hey, Remy. So I'm very, <laughs> very excited about doing that. I think it's July 23rd to the 27th mm-hmm. um, in Amsterdam. So if any of y'all in the field didn't know, didn't register, it's something to check out. It's an amazing experience. And any of you that are working with sexual health organizations, academic organizations, community-based organizations, and you have funding for travel um, and education, that would be a really good conference to go to. Mm, I feel like we're going to touch on another 
question that we got last week, which was around sex phobia. Right. And it's talking about in discussion. What do you think about that? What do I think about sex phobia? Yeah. What do you think about that? About... <laughs> I just talked for a little while. Sex so phobia. Um, <laughs> I think it's I think it's dangerous for us to to have I, I think it's really important that we have healthy attitudes about sexuality. Um, I think any kind of yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to like the importance of just having sexual education right. that's affirming, that's that's um, affirming to our identity first of all, and that you know, yeah, like I think because we internalize so much stigma around the sex that we have, um, yeah, we have to we have to like let it go. But then again, it's like, well, where do we go? We're really trying to unlearn sexual stigma or sex phobia. Like, how do we? There aren't many spaces where we can do that. Yeah, and we also important. kind of assume that. Um sex phobia and sex stigma actually just happens at one period of time in our mm-hmm. maturation and then it mm-hmm. stops. But like, you'll see like, even at HIV clinics I've worked at, I've listened to providers kind of judge guys who are, and women who are living with HIV mm-hmm. and about their sexual lives. Like, well, you know, you can't have sex without a condom um, anymore. You know, you're supposed to have a condom every time, even though they fully know the data about undetectable equals untransmittable. So it's just interesting how these these judgmental kind of, a lot of them are religion influenced um, or infused uh, judgment decisions um, happen even in these provider spaces where people are supposed to be safe. And like Mm -hmm. even to Johnny's example, in a space where someone is prescribing PrEP, you can still have a really effed up experience um, just because someone just doesn't have the attitude or they're apathetic Mm -hmm. or they just don't feel like doing anything they wanna do. Um, And they could be gay, they could be transgender, they could be a lesbian, they could be black, they could be Latino. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter because if they don't have that internal drive within them, they're like, oh, I'm tired, I don't feel like dealing. He didn't have an appointment anyway, so I'm not Mm -hmm. gonna make that extra effort. And you would think these are the spaces we wanna go to where we feel safe, where we feel affirmed, and it's it's not always the case. Mike Ramsey says, I enjoy the conversations. I look forward to Tuesdays now. Well, thank you, Mike. Excellent. Hey, Mike. (laughs) Um, I guess finally, um, you know, we've talked a lot about sort of like sexuality, particularly around, um, and we kind of went in a lot of different directions with that. Um, I do have one final question that I want to ask, which is, um, you know, in our community, a lot of sexual health education or information, and with sexuality in general, sort of targeting younger Black gay men, um, I think oftentimes, like black gay men of a certain age, hell, even over thirty, probably right. at this point, you, you know, you're not, you're not always sort of in that narrative or on sexuality. Right. So I guess my question is, David, what are your, I don't know, what are some things that we should be thinking about in terms of like being having a a, a healthy sex life, an active sex life, um, you know, once you're over thirty five, over forty, like what are some things that we should be thinking about? Um... I, I do think you're right. There's a couple of things that I would say is that typically, as is the case we talked about before, like a lot of times it centers around pathology. So the only mm-hmm. time you hear particularly sexual health and HIV research talking about older black gay men, mm-hmm. uh, it tends to be in the context of how older black gay men with HIV are giving it to the younger mm-hmm. kids. And that's all that's they true. want to say is that, you know, ooh, watch out younger brothers. If you guys have sex with yeah. an older brother, you're going to catch HIV because they don't care and they're more likely to have sex without kind of like all these other narratives that are pejorative, that are predominantly negative, and just kind of focus on those kind of arenas. But there's never really a sex positive message. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one person I would shout, I'm shouting out a lot of people today. So Javante Williams, who okay. is in Philadelphia mm-hmm. and works at Widener University and does a lot of sexual health uh, research over there, and looking at elders, looking at black gay elders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm 49, so I'm almost- You're 49? At that, yeah, I'm almost at that cusp. 
So like, I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm almost at that cuff. And actually, somebody called me an elder. So I was about to say elders, they, and then I was thinking elders, me, I think I'm part of this now. So um, well, I people think, call me an elder too, and I'm like 37. Right, so, exactly. So, so I mean, with, I guess it's relative, elder yeah. to what? So with a, a lot of elders, there, there just isn't a conversation that's being had or research being done about how often we're having sex. Are we enjoying it? What are the positive aspects of how we have sex and how we sexual network? What is um, what goes on when we age and we have other medical conditions that could coincide? And it doesn't have to just be HIV, but as we gain weight, as we lose our energy, as we have lower testosterone, as we develop diabetes and high blood pressure and heart issues, how does our sexuality kind of morph and evolve and transition mm. back in the back from the days when we were in our 20s and our teens and we were really going at it and then now all of a sudden we have to like face this new reality mm. i don't it, it's com it's not a thing that's just exclusive to us as black gay men but i think there's yeah. so many nuances to it because of issues of racism and what we experience mm -hmm. and because of our sexual journey with acceptance and orientation that mm -hmm. it just adds a little more to the conversation but um, shout out to Widener and Javante um, doing a lot of, of work kind of in this area because I think it's sorely needed. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking that maybe part of the proliferation uh, of, you know, the Black Bear community um, has, I mean, I think one of the, the amazing things that, you know, Black Bears have been doing is sort of countering the narrative around um, what, what can be considered desirable right. and, and what's visible and just really, I think, showing diverse images. Right. Um, you know, even sexual images, mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I'm just so, um, you know, grateful that, you know, there are folks sort of in the big boy, <laughs> uh, Black Bear community have just really been like, uh, just expanding what's possible in terms of what's desirable. Yeah, and I don't think it's about even trying to create a counter narrative. I think it's just about being yourself. And so, you know, kids who weigh like 120 pounds or would be considered twinks mm -hmm. or whatever, like they just are being sexual, you know, people who are medium sized or athletic, or our gym bunnies and have muscles busting out of every orifice, like they're just having sex. And the same thing with big boys. And so, you know, I think big boy pride is coming up when? I don't April, uh, April, early to mid April, yeah. April something in Orlando. Yeah. Who's running that still? Jay, Tony, Daniel, other cats. And David, could you say a little bit about big boy pride? I've only been once and that was a long time ago. And I'm, I, I was thinking about going back, but I'm actually- You should go. I was gonna go, but I'm actually going to see my parents. So family um, first, Charles. Family first. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, this has been incredible. Thank you so much to our amazing uh, panelists, Johnny. Thank you for sharing Yay, your story. <laughs> David, thank you as always for your brilliance. Thank nice. you, folks, for the in the comments. Oh, Ben Robinson the Third says this is a well-needed show that's full of information. All brothers need to check it out. Glad I caught it. Thank you, Ben. That that means a lot. Shout thank out, you, Alvin. Alvin, our amazing and fearless and resilient <laughs> videographer um, who accused me of being a diva, but I still love him. <laughs> Ben, an uh, interesting <laughs> note about Ben Robinson. Ben has a beautiful voice and can actually sing oh. Can We Talk um, by Ke Tevin Campbell and can really knock wow. that out the park. So, Love it. We're so talented. Yeah, if you if you hook up with uh, Ben, have him sing Can We have Talk. Sing. Hey, Anthony. Anthony Antoine just joined. Hey, hey Anthony. Anthony. Love you. Welcome back. Um, but thank y'all again. We're here every Tuesday at 7. Please feel free to... Uh, Inbox me. Don't don't worry. David has enough going on, so leave David alone. But um, you have questions, you want us to answer topics, you want us to cover. Um, again, thank you so much, folks, in the comments. Love your energy in the comments. Please spread the word. Every Tuesday at seven on our Facebook page, we'll do a Facebook Live. 
Um, and just thank you for your support. Um, again, make sure you follow Counter Narrative on social media. We're on Twitter at Building Desire. We're on Facebook. We're also on Instagram at Instagram.com slash the Counter Narrative. And we're on YouTube. So definitely like and subscribe our YouTube to our YouTube channel. Um, and most importantly, join our email list. So at the Counter narrative.org lots of plugs yeah are there any other things you need to plug any other shout outs i think that's it i've shout out enough people already okay shout out <laughs> we love your shout out i know i like your shout out support recognizing folks. good folks recognizing good folks all right y'all thank you so much all right see you next week